He has his say. You can have yours. Text us or call us and join the conversation. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe, brought to you by WVU Medicine. Hello. Welcome back. Come on in. Your dreams were your ticket. Breaks over. Welcome Time for hour number two of the Watchdog Morning Show here, 8, 10, 10 minutes after the hour. You are welcome to be part of this program by joining us on the Frio Stack Auction Service phone line, 304-232-8255. You can use the Frio Stack Auction Service text line, 304-214-1600. Come on in and uh, join us. Uh, a couple of reminders. Uh, if you miss any of our programs, or if you just prefer maybe to listen in the evening or the afternoon or something like that, remember, every day, right after this show, shortly after 10 o'clock, every hour of the program is posted hour by hour. The 7 o'clock hour, then the 8 o'clock hour, then the 9 o'clock hour is up available at watchdognetwork.com. So you can hit, listen to the entire hour, get all the news, all the conversation, all the uh, discussion between Bob and I. You can get the phone calls. You can get the interviews the whole hour. Uh, each hour, one by one, so you can pick and choose what you want to listen to. That's at watchdognetwork.com, and it is um, I, almost every day. I mean, I'm, I get them up by 10 o'clock. They're usually up by the time I leave the studio here. So don't forget to check our podcast. Also, for those of you who have been asking and wondering, and some even complaining, Whatever happened to the video feed, we used to do a nice video feed for you. You could look inside the studio, or when I was home, you got to – uh, wasn't really exciting when I was home. Just look at me sitting in front of my microphone. Uh, we have all of our video stuff up and running. We tested it a, a bit yesterday. We still have to get the um, the uh, camera angles just right. I want to make sure they get the you know get my good side, Bob. What's my good side? What here? side is that? Wow, well, what's my good side? What's my good side? I want to get I want to make sure it gets my good side. Um, but the uh, video cameras are up. They're installed. They're working. The whole system is is working. We ran a test run yesterday. Sometime, probably the beginning of next week, uh, we'll have it all set and ready to go for you. So I wanted to call that to your attention. It is 8-11 here on the Watchdog Morning Show. Let's see here, Bob. Look at this. Blue, green, black, brown. I got every color of liquid that you can possibly imagine. I've got the ice blue Gatorade. I've got my green water. Uh, this is uh, Pellegrino today. Pepsi. Pepsi. <laughs> Making me feel good. What uh, And what, coffee. What seems to be working the best, Howard? You know what works the best. You're hooked. It's the Pepsi. You heard me. I didn't even want to do it. I opened it up and took my first sip, and you heard right away. What did I do? Yeah, same thing I did. Uh, <sighs> Man, does that feel good. You know, it just, tastes it good. It tasted so good. In fact, I think I'll take one more sip. The only thing missing here is, uh, well, uh, something to eat. Food. <laughs> food. Uh, 56 degrees, Wheeling, Ohio County Airport. 55 at the Highlands. 56, no, 55 in Elm Grove. And 56 here at the Robinson Auto Group Studios downtown Wheeling in the heart of the Ohio Valley. We're likely to see some showers, maybe in a thunderstorm during the day today, mostly cloudy, a high of 68. Again, maybe a little bit of rain in the morning tomorrow, but then partly sunny, 72 tomorrow, and all sunny throughout the weekend. 
moving upwards from the mid to upper 70s. By the end of the weekend, we could be pushing close to 80, and that's true for the beginning of next week as well. So as we begin to head into October, it looks like we're going to have almost summer-like temperatures once again. Sounds good. It feels good. Uh, That is not our guest. Uh, Can we squeeze Gene in? Gene, why, sure. Thank you for uh, calling, Gene. Good morning, my friend. Well, I just want to call. I haven't uh, didn't hear you say anything about Ducky. Ducky died uh, Sunday. Wait a minute, hold on. You mean Ilya Kuryakin died Sunday? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I call him Ducky. I, to me, he's still Ilya Kuryakin. He was ninety years old. Yeah, he was. Good guy. He was good actor. Uh, you know, really brought. I, I believe, and for those who don't know, we're talking about David McCollum, and we did talk about this yesterday a little bit, uh, but you probably didn't catch it, Gene. I, I miss it, yeah. That's okay. I think he is the only um, actor that has been with NCIS from the very beginning. I think he's the only one left who's been there for the entire 20-plus years run of the season. Well, you know what? funny? Last night I was watching it, and they were after a hitman, and guess what? They always do this. They bring up uh, West Virginia all the time. Oh, yeah. Uh, the guy, the hitman was from Wheeling, West Virginia. <laughs> you know, we might know him. You know, it's one of the, I, I'd like to know what the connection is. Uh, if you watch the old Law & Order shows, there's a lot of connection to West Virginia, but that's because one of the producers was from Marshall County. So I knew where that connection came from. You hear about West Virginia in general and Wheeling frequently on NCIS. There's some kind of connection there. I just don't know who, you know, is it a writer? Is it a producer? Is it Leroy Gibbs that has, I, somebody's got a connection to West Virginia. And so you hear about Wheeling a good bit. Sadly, sadly, Gene, usually it's not like, hey, let's go and have fun in Wheeling. It's usually there's a killer coming in. Yeah, well, I was sitting there watching it, and the guy, he said that uh, Gibbs, he goes, uh, the, that guy, he, we have to go get him. He's. And Wheeling, West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, hey, Gene, i got to run. Appreciate it. I want you to know, I actually asked Bob yesterday. I said, hey, we haven't heard from Gene for a while, so I'm glad we heard from you, my friend. Appreciate it. I think Gene is gone. He is gone. And I uh, didn't know Gene was going to call today. The next song, uh, Country Day, I picked for Gene. So uh, I'm going to have to wait for that one. That'll be coming up as we uh, get ready to talk to uh, federal prosecutor Bill Elenfeld. He is coming up next talking about Roxby development here on the Watchdog Morning Show. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man. You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Be sure to check out the Touchdown City Show for award-winning WVU football talk. Tune in every week as Anthony Lewis, Derek Bailey, Michael Sussman, and WVU legend Avon Coburn deliver expert insight about everything gold and blue and give their reaction to the biggest games from around the Big 12. Don't miss a second of the Touchdown City Show. You want a hospital rising up to the challenges of today's healthcare demands. WVU Medicine Wheeling Hospital delivers the right care right here at home. Developing new and exclusive services. Recruiting top surgeons, we embody the mountaineer spirit, building upon strong traditions, pioneering medical care, 
moving forward with compassion. WVU Medicine Wheeling Hospital, delivering the right care, right place, right time. When deciding where to dine in the Ohio Valley, think first of the Highlands with a full array of quick service choices from McDonald's, Wendy's, Five Guys, Taco Bell, Jersey Mike's, Jimmy John's, Chick-fil-A, or DiCarlo's Pizza. Or you can dine in at Eden Park, Primanti Brothers, Texas Roadhouse, El Paso, or Quaker Steak and Lube. Whatever your family's in the mood for, you can find it just off I-70 at the top of the hill. The Highlands, dining, shopping, entertainment, and lodging. Lazy summer days are turning to time in the classroom. Meeting old friends and Friday night football. It's back to school. And we're there with you on the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard. Well, you can't go home if you're going by the mill Cause the bridge washed out at the bottom of the hill Big creeks up, a little crease level I plow my corn with a double shovel Stay all night, stay a little longer Dance all night, dance a little longer Pull off your coat, throw it in the corner Don't see why you stay a little longer Charlie Daniels? For Gene. I don't recognize I don't. That's not a song I recognize. Well, Charlie. I picked a, a more of a country tune, but that's Gene's buddy. Gene's buddy, Gene's buddy, uh, Charlie Daniels. Uh, welcome to the program this morning, uh, Federal Prosecutor Bill Elenfeld. Bill, good morning. Glad you could take some time to be with us today. I appreciate it. Uh, of course. Good morning, Howard. Um, let me, let's do the uh, Joe Friday thing uh, to begin with. You know, just the facts, ma'am. Bring us up to speed on what, what brings up to speed on where we are with uh, Jeffrey Morris, uh, the head of Roxby Development. There was an indictment, um, I guess that's the right word to use, a couple of weeks ago. I was on vacation. Man, I hate to be on vacation when things break, but I was on vacation when that indictment came down, and now uh, a couple dozen more yesterday. Just, just kind of run through us what's going on right now. Sure, and we thought about holding off on charging him until you got back, and then we decided <laughs> that we, we just couldn't wait. Uh, uh, but uh, in all seriousness, a couple weeks ago, he was charged by criminal complaint, which is not something we typically do in the federal system, and we, we did that. Uh, because we were concerned he might leave the country. We received information that he was getting ready to hop on a plane and, and leave the United States. And so we charged him with one count of wire fraud in early September, arrested him, uh, required that he appear, surrender his passport, and be restricted in his travel. All of those things were put into place perhaps the first week of September. And then this week, uh, a grand jury indicted Mr. Morris on 28 counts, 18 of which were for wire fraud, 10 counts for tax charges related to failure to pay over taxes to the Internal Revenue Service. And he waived his uh, initial appearance on the indictment. And so he uh, has been arraigned uh, by by waiving that right to be arraigned. A scheduling order has been put into place. A trial date has been set for the middle of November. And now we are in the what we call the discovery stage, where we will provide all of the the evidence over to his attorney and uh, proceed with pretrial motions, and then get geared up for a trial in November. Now, twenty-eight counts, uh, individual counts uh, accumulate, but essentially the large part of them had to do with defrauding investors. Basically, do I understand that correctly? That's correct. There were at least 20 investors who were defrauded in various ways. 
Uh, Bill, I'm sorry, can, I interrupt, the, can I interrupt you just for a second? Were they all local, or were they from other places, too? Both. So okay. we had okay. folks from right here in Wheeling, West Virginia, and people from other parts of the country. There were at least, and I was asked this question yesterday, and, and I need to, to run this down. There were at least uh, folks from three other states who were impacted by this. Uh, and, and so uh, what, what they uh, were uh, induced into doing uh, was to, to invest into projects uh, here in the city of Wheeling to include the McClure House Hotel, the Scottish Rite Cathedral, and the Mount Carmel Monastery. And they were promised that their investment dollars would be used for a specific purpose. Uh, that might be to re- rehabilitate the Scottish Rite Cathedral, and, and then uh, the money was actually used for other purposes. And so we've alleged 18 counts. That It, it happened on many more occasions than that, but uh, at, at, at some point in time, uh, it, it really doesn't matter how many right. counts you charge. It, the, the focus is how much total fraud actually occurred, and so that's something that we will be litigating uh over the next couple of months, uh, we're, we're alleging that there was at least $7 million that came in or $6.9 million in investor money that came in. Uh, and, and ultimately, you know, that's, that's our burden to prove that. But we've, we've subpoenaed a lot of bank records, credit card statements, emails. And so uh, we've got everything lined up, and, and most of that's laid out in the indictment. It was a pretty lengthy speaking indictment that was returned this week. So uh, around $7 million of investor money that was accumulated by uh, Mr. Morrison, by Roxby Development, that, uh, according to the grand jury's charges, was not used the way they told the investors it was going to be used. Do I have that correct? That's correct. And then there were um, IRS charges there as well, right? That's right. So uh, he is charged with withholding money from his employees' paychecks and then not uh, turning that money over to the Internal Revenue Service. Uh, this is probably not part of your purview, but uh, a lot of the employees feel they were stiffed as well. They do, and, and that, that does factor into what we've charged. I mean, they're, they're victims in that uh, they, the, the matching dollars uh, with Medicare and Social Security, the, the FICA taxes that were withheld from their paychecks, uh, weren't matched. And so uh, they're, they're part of this. They're a smaller part of this than the investors who put mm-hmm. in millions of dollars into these projects. Uh, but they, they, were, uh, they are certainly victims in this, and uh, they, they didn't get paid. Uh, they, they couldn't pay their bills uh, from the job that they were relying upon to do that. And then on top of that, some of the employees actually put their own money into the 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 Roxby project into the company yeah into the company and so um it, 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 it might not have been millions but it certainly was thousands of dollars that local people who worked for for Roxby put money into things uh, with the promise that they would be reimbursed uh, only to uh be left holding the bag so to speak so um they not only didn't get paid they also put some of their own money in it and the, the reason they did that is because they believed in the division and they they believe that they would get reimbursed for fronting expenses and there are probably a lot of people listening and i you know i i would fit in this category you know once in a while you're at work and you've got to get something done you go ahead and pay for it and then your employer pays you back right um that's that's very common uh, across all industries and that's what these folks were doing 
We also had contractors who weren't employees, but they were vendors who were uh, doing work for Roxby who uh, wanted to see their work through to the end. And when the credit card from Roxby was declined at Lowe's uh, for the supplies that they needed, uh, they went ahead and, and paid for it on their own, on their own credit card. Uh, with the uh, thought that they were going to get reimbursed for advancing those costs, which is also a very common thing that happens in, in this that industry. When you're rehabilitating a building, you front the cost and you get paid on the back end. Well, those contractors also uh, were, were left unpaid, not only for the work they did, but for the, the cost that they advanced. Bill, um, a, a, a lot of apparently employees, but a lot of people in the public saw Roxby in the beginning, at least, as some, I, I don't say savior, that's maybe not the right word, but certainly as a, uh, as, as a very positive step here in the upper Ohio Valley. They claimed they were going to take some of these old buildings that everybody knows had potential but never had realized their potential, like Scottish Wright and particularly McClure. Um, and for a period of time, perception was, hey, these guys are, are, are really going to turn this, help turn this city around. But somewhere along the way, A, things went south, and B, and, and you have to have heard this, it didn't take long before on the street people were saying something doesn't, something doesn't fit, something doesn't sound right about this whole thing. Yeah, I I did experience that, and I did hear that and sense that just from spending so much time in downtown Wheeling, a lot of people just couldn't make the math work when you saw the numbers that he was, the, the dollars he was shelling out to acquire these properties that needed a tremendous amount of work. And, and they are uh, historical grand properties. The, the Scottish Rite Cathedral is just an incredible building. It and is. the McClure House has so much history. So, you know, 10 or 11 U.S. presidents have, have walked the, the halls of the McClure House. And so we all wanted to believe that this was possible, but the numbers just didn't add up. And when you saw the, the large number of employees that he had, it just uh, local business owners couldn't figure out how he was able to meet that payroll and also do all the work that he had promised to do and turn a profit. Because at the end of the day, you're, you've got to turn a profit. And he was promising these investors from out of town that uh, he was already turning profits and that, that this was a worthwhile investment. And he misled them about the amount of revenue that was being generated and that he projected would be generated. When or at what point or how did, did your office decide there was enough to begin to investigate? So it was, uh, I don't have the exact date, I, I, sometime in late 2021, early 2022. It was you know, soon after I came in into the office, and I, I came in October of 2021, and I knew when I came into the office that something wasn't right. And so we began to just pay pay closer attention to what was happening with Roxby. And, and so we opened a matter uh, based upon uh, various pieces of information we had, but it was really kind of slow going with our investigation until July of 2022. And I'll never forget this, and, and these, this is one of the neat parts of the job. Uh, I was walking down Chaplin Street, and somebody yelled out of the window of their car, hey, I need to talk to you. And I didn't know this person, uh, but she obviously knew me. And I said, well, give me a call. And I assume she knew how to 
uh, find my phone number if she she knew who I was to, enough to yell at me out, out of her car window. And then <laughs> a few minutes later, she she actually approached me on the street and handed me a business card and said, uh, "Here's my name and number. Please give me a call." And so later that afternoon, we did. And uh, that following Monday, she was in to meet with the FBI and assistant U.S. attorneys. And she was a, a big part of breaking the case open. She was a whistleblower for us. And she didn't have all the answers, but she had a lot of information. She had a lot of leads for us. She suggested a lot of people that we should speak with. And we followed all those leads. And that's really what broke everything open. So that was July of, of last year. Former employee? Uh, she Yes. Uh, she was okay. an employee at the time, and uh, she's a former employee now. Mr. Slider, we had a couple of phone calls. We did, and they were also uh, former employees, Bill. Uh, the first question is, uh, the nice lady was under the assumption that the, he is doing business uh, at the monastery uh, with a bed and, and breakfast right now. Do you have any knowledge on that? Uh, I, I don't know if he's operating a bed and breakfast or not, no. And the uh, other question was, uh, as the family, of the Morris family, is Jeremy the only one right now that's in trouble or uh, other family members? Uh, you mean Je Jeffrey? Yes, yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, Jeffrey. That, that's correct. Uh, Jeffrey Morris Jr. is how he's sometimes referred to. Yes, he's the only one that's been charged. Thank you. Bill, are there other charges that could be pending, or is this, is this as far as you're going to go? Uh is the investigation is the investigation continuing? Maybe is the question I'm asking. Yeah, and, and you often see that as a, a throw-in in a press release. Yes, investigation continues. I don't think that was in our press release yesterday. But what happens with cases like this? I've I've seen it so many times in in my career. Is that once you file charges and and there's a little bit of publicity about it, uh, people will give you a call that you hadn't spoken to previously, and you become aware of things that uh, you, you missed during the investigation. And let, let me say that the investigators uh, were, were fabulous, that we had one of the best from the FBI and one of the best from the IRS. But uh, that doesn't mean uh, there isn't someone else out there. So uh, I will say that we, we looked at everything from top to bottom, left to right, with regard to these companies, and we charged everything that we identified as being in violation of federal law. If, uh, but something else could come to our attention, and if it does, we will certainly pursue that, and uh, we could uh, seek a superseding indictment if, if that becomes necessary. Roxby Development, uh, if I understand this correctly, is essentially a, a, a development company buying buildings to try and uh, improve them and make money off of buildings. But uh, was not Roxby Labs a tangential part of this same company? Uh, Roxby Labs is not part of any of these indictments. Am I correct? That's correct. Yeah, Roxby Labs was a, another one of the entities that Mr. Morris uh, owned and operated, and it is not part of the indictment that was returned this week. I had wondered, and I guess I'll ask you, I had wondered if there was any uh, COVID uh, issues that, that were being looked into because of the way Roxby Labs was handled. I have no way of knowing that. I just wonder that. We looked at everything with regard to all of the Roxby entities, okay. and we, we charged everything that we identified as being in violation of federal law. And, and let me stress that these are all allegations. 
he's presumed innocent until and unless proven guilty. But everything that we identified as uh, that we believe was in violation of federal law, we have charged. The uh, you mentioned the trial date currently set for uh, mid-November. Um, what could he face? Obviously, there could be pleas and other negotiations and so on. But what could he face? Uh, what kind of, of penalties uh, do these things ch- carry? So the wire fraud counts each carry a penalty of up to 20 years in prison, and then the tax counts are, I think, up to five years in prison. Um, But it's a little different in the federal system than the state system, which is what we we hear about more often than not. The way the federal system works is that if he's convicted, uh, a judge would look at the amount of total fraud that has been proven. You know, we've thrown out some numbers here this morning. And then look at the criminal history, if any, of Mr. Morris, and and then come up with a, a calculation under the United States Sentencing Guidelines. Uh, I have not run those numbers yet, uh, and, and uh, I'm not sure if anyone in my office has. But ultimately, there will be a calculation that's done, and and so that's a roundabout, long roundabout way of saying that if he's convicted of what he's been charged with, uh, he could face years in prison. Um, how many years? Uh, I, I don't know at this point in time, and I'm, I'm always careful to mm-hmm. um, leave that up to the court because that's really that's, – that's the court's job. Uh, that's the, the federal judge's job to determine that ultimately, and there's a lot of very complicated things that go into that, um, and, and we really haven't gotten to that point. We're just, we were just looking to make sure we got this charged as quickly as we could. Well, I appreciate your time this morning. Um, we'll see how things uh, develop. Uh, again, it's a story that everybody in town has been paying attention to for months simply because, as I said, there was a lot of just buzz on the street that something never felt right about this. Um, it's up to you guys to bring some facts to bear on the feelings that the, maybe those of the public had. But um, I, I appreciate the work that you've done, and I appreciate you joining us this morning. Um, I, I have a better understanding of where we are and and where we're going uh, forward. So thanks very much. All right. Thanks, Howard. Take care. All right. Good talking to you. Federal Attorney Bill Elenfeld this morning here on the Watchdog Morning Show. It's 834, 26 till the hour. So we have uh, 28 counts uh, uh, through a grand jury. See, I was I, the first ones, what they called a criminal complaint. And I felt when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't using the right term because I don't think it was technically an indictment. It was a criminal complaint. All they were trying to do in the beginning was just keep him here because uh, he wanted to get out of Dodge. So that's, um, uh, but now 28 counts uh, have been filed, uh, an indictment from a grand jury, and uh, trials set for November. $7 million defrauded from investors both locally and elsewhere in the country. There were a couple of local investors in particular, I think, that were big investors just that brief period of time bill was with us i took three calls off the air howard and they were all former employees that are just sitting back and waiting uh you know hoping that justice uh, is served i think it's separate as i said to bill i think i think it's separate from the the criminal case here but i think a number of the employees have filed civil cases uh claiming that they were they're owed you know they weren't paid for what they the work they did uh it was just an amazing It'll be a lifetime movie one of these days, you know. I mean, seriously, it just um, now again. Let's, Bill makes a good point. Let's be very care- careful in saying 
he is innocent unless proven guilty, and these are only allegations and charges from a grand jury. Uh, but again, a lot of concern in the community for, I won't say months, I guess really years, right, Bob? People were saying, you know, something, something just doesn't, something doesn't fit. The pieces of the puzzle aren't quite right. Here. I remember last spring, our very first lunch together when we got back together on the radio, uh, yep. and that's the first time I heard, and it, it was like, man, I don't know what it is, but something just isn't right here. And that's when we were approached by another businessman who said, what are you guys hearing about this Roxby? And he told us what he was hearing, and, and uh, he had some, you know, some good background information there. All right, we're going to shift gears uh, completely. We may get back to this in the next hour, and certainly it's a story that we will follow as time goes by. I am, I must say this, I am surprised that Bill did not seem to feel that there were COVID concerns. I truly thought there would be COVID fraud. I did too, Howard. But uh, again, we got to stick with Joe Friday, just the facts. And he did not, he didn't say never. In fact, he said, well, never say never. But I think... I could tell by the way he answered the question that really that's not something they're they're it's not top of their list right now. So I, he didn't say it, but I think they probably looked at, looked at that. Also. Well, that was his, his his answer to my question was we looked at everything. So um, that's that somewhat surprised me. But again, that's why he's a prosecutor. And I'm just a guy on the radio throwing conversation out. Some guy that watches Law and Order. I, everything I know, every single thing I know about the law, I learned from Law and Order. All right, and a little bit from Bill Elenfeld. 8.38.22 to the hour. Taylor Long is here in the Ohio Valley newsroom from WTRF-TV. We'll check in with her. Uh, and then Susan Tebbin joining us from the Ohio Capitol Journal. Good Thursday morning, everyone. I'm Taylor Long with your 7 News headlines on this September the 28th. Some continuing coverage. The Wheeling Police Department is still investigating this morning after they received reports of a shots fired incident in the Perkins parking lot. Multiple witnesses heard the gunshots and called 911. Thankfully, no one was injured. Officers collected several shell casings and interviewed nearby witnesses. Police say they are interviewing a person of interest and the investigation is ongoing. Stay with 7 News and WTRF.com for additional updates. And in other news, Jeffrey James Morris, the owner of Roxby Development, was indicted on 28 counts of wire fraud and tax evasion. The indictment is connected to the defrauding of investors and his employees. He was charged by a special grand jury in Wheeling with 18 counts of wire fraud and 10 counts of failure to pay taxes. We have more details on this story on WTRF.com. And over in the Buckeye State, the state's redistricting commission has approved a set of state legislative maps. The Ohio State House and Senate for the maps have been ruled unconstitutional five times, as the Ohio Supreme Court says they were unfairly gerrymandered in favor of Republicans. The newly approved maps would still give them the ability to expand or hold on to their supermajority in both the House and the Senate. The commission had until five yesterday evening to file the maps with the Ohio Supreme Court for review and challengers have one week to file a complaint. The commission is planning to meet again today to discuss any technical amendments, but barring any unforeseen changes or court rulings, the maps are officially set for at least the next eight years. And lastly, the American Heart Association is hosting its annual Ohio Valley Heart Walk today at Wheeling Park. It's a walk that raises awareness for people who suffer from heart conditions. All the details on that can be found at WTRF.com. That was a look at your headlines. Have a terrific Thursday. I'm Taylor Long, working for you.
TCU head football coach Sonny Dyke says he likes a lot of what he sees from the Mountaineer football team. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Caridi. That story and more coming up on today's Mountaineer Report brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. Hello and welcome to The Kroger Show. At Kroger, everyone wins when it comes to saving big. Because when you order online through the Kroger app, you get the same great prices, deals, and rewards on pickup or delivery that you do in-store with no hidden fees or markups. Best of all, you'll know when items in your cart have a coupon, so you never miss a deal. So whether you're a delivery lover, picker-upper, or you shop in-store, you'll always save big at Kroger. Kroger, fresh for everyone. At Kroger, we know the minute a tomato is picked, the fresh timer starts. The sooner we get our produce to you, the fresher it is. That's why we've completely overhauled our process to shorten the time from harvest to home, giving you more time to enjoy your tasty tomatoes, strawberries, and salads. So whether you're shopping in-store, picking up, or prefer delivery, we're committed to bringing you the freshest produce possible. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The Mountaineer football team has a fan, and he lives in Fort Worth, Texas. His name is Sonny Dykes, who happens to be the head football coach at TCU. As these two teams get ready to play on Saturday night, Dykes has been watching a lot of tape of the Mountaineers, and from what he sees... Just continue to get better, really, on both sides of the ball. I think that's been the probably key to their improvement, is you can just see game to game. They get better offensively. They become more certain of who they are and their identity, and, and kind of the same thing on defense. Yeah, speaking of that Mountaineer defense, Dykes says that he can see snap by snap West Virginia's defense is an old school West Virginia defense. Well, you know, it's kind of typical West Virginia defensive front. You know, they're 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 good up front. They're big and they're strong and they play hard and, and they're very physical. So to me that's kind of where it starts. I think that's really the mentality of their football team is kind of is kind of built on that. Um I don't see a weakness defensively. I mean, I think that's the thing. Typically, when you go into a week and you start looking at teams and you go, yeah, we want to go after this guy or we want to attack that guy or, you know, they're not good at this. They can't play this. You know, you don't really see much of that from West Virginia. I mean, they're just a really solid defensive football team. They tackle well. You know, they run to the ball. They understand how to leverage the ball and and funnel the ball back to other people to, to make tackles. And so, I mean, they just play a really good brand of, of defense. TCU head coach Sonny Dykes. Speaking of coaches, the Neil Brown Show comes your way tonight here on the Mountaineer Sports Network from Kegler's. We're on the air from 6 until 8 o'clock, and we invite you to join us. That is today's Mountaineer Report brought to us by Kroger, the official grocer of WVU Athletics. I'm Tony Caridi on the Mountaineer Sports Network from Learfield. Start your next project today and get 11% off everything. Now at Menards. Add beautiful color to your projects with Minwax Wood Finish. It's a penetrating formula that delivers oil-rich color in one single coat and dries in just two hours. Pick up a quart of Minwax Wood Finish oil-based interior stain for only $10.99 after 11% off. Good through October 1st. Savings are mail-in rebate. Some exclusions apply. See store for details. Save big money at Menards. Great conversation continues now on the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe. Howard Monroe, brought to you by WVU Medicine. And those Williams boys, they still mean a lot to me. Hank in Tennessee, I guess we're all gonna be what we're gonna be. Nice piece of philosophy so there, among other things. 
would guess we're all going to be what we're going to be. What are we going to be, Bob? What are we going to be? I'm just going to be a good old boy, Howard. Good old boy. Good old boy. 844-16 to the hour. Watchdog Morning Show. 56 at the uh, Wheeling, Ohio County Airport. 55 at the Highlands. 55 in Elm Grove and 56 uh, here at the Robinson Otter Group Studios, downtown Wheeling in the heart of the Ohio Valley. Look for some rain today, showers, thunderstorms, otherwise a gloomy, cloudy day, a high of 68. But, and tomorrow a little bit the same, it's going to be some showers and thunderstorms. But uh, when they fade away, it'll be sunny into the 70s tomorrow and rising to the mid and then upper 70s over the next several days. A nice, warm, sunny, uh, pleasant weekend. And the beginning of next week looks like we're heading close to 80, so... All of that uh, sounds really good. West Virginia facing a lawsuit from a guy in Texas over the 14th Amendment issue. 14th Amendment supposedly claims that Donald Trump cannot serve as president because he was involved in insurrection. Um, The Republican Party and Republican leaders in the state are going berserk and just even this, the fact this guy even suggested that, we will talk about that coming up next hour. But right now, let's uh, head over to the Buckeye State once again. Susan Tevin is with us from the Ohio Capital Journal. And Susan has been helping us follow, geez, Susan, what, for over a year, I guess now? The, uh, um, two years. A couple of years, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the redrawing of um, congressional district maps and so on in the state, uh, first five called unconstitutional eventually we ended up voting on an unco- with an unconstitutional map if i remember correctly um mm-hmm. but now maybe we're making progress huh well depends on who you ask yeah that well <laughs> did not say that well did not sound like a firm <laughs> like a firm yes there <laughs> we have passed a uh, i should say the ohio redistricting commission passed uh the sixth version uh just two days ago uh very late in the night about 10 uh, 11 p.m um, it does have bipartisan agreement, although, again, depends on who you ask, because there's only two Democrats on the redistricting commission and the rest are Republicans. Yeah. So uh, what your definition of bipartisan is up to up to you. Um, but these maps are not largely different than what the Republicans um, introduced last week, which was would break down to 62 GOP seats in the in the in the Senate. Sorry, in the House, 62 seats in the House and 37 Democrats, and then 23 uh, in the Senate and 10 Democrats, whereas this map that we adopted um, two days ago is 61 houses, 61 House seats for GOP, 38 Democrat, and then 23 and 10 still in the Senate with, uh, say, eight Democratic toss-up seats and three GOP. So not a whole lot of difference except for the two Democrats decided we need to take this out of the hands of the redistricting commission, and the only way we can do that is with bipartisan agreement on these maps. That was the impression I got from your story, and that's what I wanted to get to. Uh, uh, Democrats basically said, look, we're we're making no progress with this commission. Let's move it to a different arena, so to speak, right? Right, right. And um, they have gotten, you know, on social media, I've seen a lot of people that are heavily criticizing them. They should have just voted no if they thought... This was not a vote that meant, you know, something to say, oh, we're getting this out of the system. This was a vote to make the districts what they are and make them what they're going to be for the 2024 election, for the 2023 election, where we have um, an abortion ballot initiative on. Right. Um, they should have just continued to vote no. 
Uh, that's not how the Democrats see it. They see it as we, we reached a compromise. We did what we needed to do. We see more competitive seats in these maps. Uh, we're going forward like this until we can at least get um, what they're trying to do is a new ballot initiative to reform the redistricting process yet again. And uh, they're of course, this all happen. came this all came from a ballot initiative, right? Right, right. Yes, we had uh, reform coming, but uh, reform didn't seem to be enough. Number one, it didn't have a whole lot of enforcement teeth, as we saw. The Ohio Supreme Court, you know, rejected these five times already. Uh, these state house maps and rejected the congressional twice. Um, but the Republican majority could just go back and say, well, we don't really agree with that. And they even went to the U.S. Supreme Court to say that, which didn't end up in their favor, but it still didn't add a whole lot to the redistricting process. So, um, you know, advocacy groups want to go back and say we need more enforcement. We need this elected official Ohio Redistricting Commission to be gone. We need an independent redistricting commission. So uh, we'll see if that happens. So that's a separate avenue, which is to, again, mm-hmm. to revisit another ballot initiative to, to make this redistricting commission more fair, more equitable, give it some teeth and so on. In the meantime, though, what happens to this sixth map? Does it go to the Supreme Court now or does it become law? What, what happens now with the map that we yeah, just well, passed? As bipartisan agreement goes, um, the general idea is that this is an eight-year map. Um, however, we may see some court challenges. That's still a possibility. We haven't seen any yet, but it's only been in effect for two days. Um, I, I, with the general attitude that I've seen towards it, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more court challenges. Um, the only thing with the Ohio Supreme Court is uh, last time around, or last five times around, we had a swing vote from uh, a conservative ju- the chief justice was a conservative justice named Maureen O'Connor, who has now been age-limited, and she's off the court. And uh, Sharon Kennedy is now the chief justice, and she was in favor of all five of the uh, maps that were rejected. So she spoke in the dissent. So we're looking at a more friendly Supreme Court, it looks like, if a challenge could come there. To friendly say, friendly, to- friendly towards the Republican, well, I, I'm going to say Republican, but it's bipartisan, yeah. I guess. But friendly towards the Republican-drawn maps. That's what you say, more yeah. friendly, right? Right, right. What well, looks like these, these partisan liens would be more likely to pass through with Sharon Kennedy as Chief Justice. How far off of what seems to be reasonable are these maps? I don't know if that, um, I don't know if that question's off. a fair question, but, but talk me through that a little bit. Yeah, so these are supposed to be based, these maps are supposed to be based on election results um, from the last 10 years. Uh, based on the governor's race, based on all of those, and and what the partisan lean was for those. So the argument is that this is supposed to be more around a 54-46 split uh, overall. As opposed and to so 61-38 right now. Right, right, and 23-10. So right. it's, it seems to be, and then the National Democratic Redistricting Commission called the the original, uh, the last week's Democrat, or last week's Republican proposal a very 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 gerrymandered you know extremely gerrymandered map and these are not much different the ones that we have adopted so you're seeing a lot of people saying these are way way out of bounds following your your coverage of this in the ohio capital journal just in the past couple of weeks the recon well it was reconstituted but the new efforts of the ohio redistricting commission this time around, got off to a pretty rocky start, right? I mean, they met for an hour or two, and help me to talk that through, but they, they met briefly, then they adjourned, and it didn't start smoothly, right? 
Right, right. So we had we reconstituted is actually the right word because um, we had a few changes in the leadership, um, a couple people out, a couple people in. So the governor did have to reconstitute it and reconvene them. The problem was they tried to reconvene and realized, or I, maybe they knew already, they didn't have they didn't have any co-chairs chosen. Obviously, for the Democrats, it was one of two. They just had to wait for the Republicans. They said that they were going to wait for the Republicans to pick, and then they'd pick. There's only two of them. They could decide. But the uh, Republicans came into that meeting, and the governor told the, told the media, uh, we have no idea. They're fighting over who should be the co-chair. Because The Republicans fighting among themselves over that. Among themselves, yeah. So the, the previous uh, iterations of this commission had House speakers as the um, – as the leader, and then the House Speaker, House Speaker Bob Cup, who's now left, um, assigned someone from the House. So the Senate was saying, you had this for this many years, for two years, it should be a Senate person. And then it was a discussion of whether or not anybody on the commission, any Republican, could be the person. And it ended up being actually the state auditor, Keith Faber, who's been on the commission all this time, who ended up, and he calls himself the reluctant co-chair. So the uh, House and Senate couldn't really decide, it seems like, and they decided to go with someone else, which is the auditor. <laughs> <laughs> Susan, you're a reporter, and as you mentioned, you've been following this, the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs, mainly the downs. But over the last couple of years, I mean, at some point, don't you, do you, just a personal question, do you ever go, oh, my God, here we go again? <laughs> well, it. I know you're a reporter. You're not supposed to say that, but (laughs) come on, just between you and me. No, it it did really. um, When I when I picked up this beat, essentially, you know, redistricting wasn't a whole thing. You know, back in the day, redistricting was this thing that happened every ten years, and it was just a thing where you went in and you assigned the blocks based on the elections, and and it wasn't really a big deal. People didn't really know what it was about because it didn't really amount to much. Uh, other than, you know, their voting districts. But the voting districts were supposed to be assigned based on these rules. Uh, so when I started this two years ago, I was not thinking we would be ending up here. And then <laughs> when we passed the maps at 11 p.m. Uh, two days ago, I was like, wow, are we really done? I, I will never say that because I'll jinx myself. But it really sat down in me like, we've been doing this for two years. Maybe we're finally done with this. Quickly, um, you mentioned that what's really needed maybe is another ballot initiative to to reassess this whole process. Uh, Is there movement towards that? Well, it's uh, sort of in limbo right now because the uh, Ohio Attorney General has to approve the uh, language that would go into the ballot initiative and that gets passed by the, if it gets certified by the attorney general, then it goes to the Ohio ballot board. They have to approve. So it's a whole long process. We saw the same thing with the abortion ballot initiative. We have to get language passed and then we have to pass it through different state agencies and all that. So they have uh, submitted now for a third time language um, because the first two tries, the attorney general said these are misleading, this is misleading language and this is, uh, will be confusing to voters. So um, some people have not necessarily accused him, uh, Davios, the attorney general, of slow walking this, but have really said, you know, what is he doing here? Is there a strategy here to keep this from happening? But um, they've submitted language that the advocates for uh, new ballot initiative have submitted a third set of languages. So we'll see if that gets through this time and then go through the process again. We talked earlier this week with Zachary Roth, who wrote a piece for the Capital Journal and other of the uh, uh, online sites like yours about the efforts across the country, and in particular in Ohio, 
by Republicans to sort of subvert the whole electoral process. And in some ways, my opinion, you don't have to concur, this is part of that. Yeah, I mean, you're not alone in feeling like that. And obviously we have a supermajority in both, in both bodies. So essentially it feels like to a lot of people that they can do whatever they want. And, and as we've seen with this redistricting, you know, they, do. they have all but two on the redistricting commission. Essentially, what, no matter what they say, they can do whatever they want. Um, it's just a matter of are we talking about people that are doing good faith negotiations or are we willing to say that the entire GOP is in bad faith? And I don't know, you know, there's a lot of people that are willing to say that, but a lot of people have, you know, chips on their shoulder after seeing this process go on for two years. Yeah, absolutely. We'll follow it in the Ohio Capital Journal. You continue to uh, report on that and uh, maybe you'll get a new beat one of these days. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Susan, I was... Something less controversial. Uh, maybe. I, I There's nothing less controversial in Ohio these days. Politically, I can, right. I'm can. i gathering that. I appreciate your time. I always do. I appreciate your willingness to come on and help us out a bit. Thanks very much. We'll be watching for you in the Ohio Capital Journal. And I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Happy to do it. Thanks, Howard. Thanks a lot. Susan Tebbin, the Ohio Capital Journal. It's good to have options when choosing health coverage for your family, your employees, and your company. You want to plan with people you know, like the health plan, known for exceptional local customer service, and are headquartered right here in West Virginia. We are families, we are businesses, and we are all moving forward together. We are here for you, The Health Plan. How much could a cyber attack cost your business? The costs stemming from a cyber attack can vary tremendously, but are extremely significant. Recent studies have shown that the average cost of a data breach to small business can range from $120,000 to $1.2 million. In addition to financial loss, companies also suffer downtime, lost opportunities, and data recovery expenses that can all quickly add up. Could your organization survive a cyber incident? If you are unsure if you are doing enough to protect your data, reputation, and dollars from cyber criminals, contact the team at Omni Strategic Technologies today. Omni has the right tools and support to help keep your business protected. Call 304-242-7600 and schedule your free consultation today or visit omniperforms.com. Omni Strategic Technologies, the only cybersecurity and advisory firm that the watchdog trusts. Broadcasting from the Ohio Valley, talking about the Ohio Valley. We're live and local. This is the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe, brought to you by WVU Medicine. Well, I was down in New Orleans, everything's fine. All them cats drinking that wine. Well, we have a federal shutdown story uh, still waiting to see what's going to happen there. ABC may have more on that. And meanwhile, uh, Senator Manchin and others are worried about dress codes in the U.S. Senate. We'll talk about that next hour. Um, and the 14th Amendment debate makes its way to the Mountain State. We'll talk about that. All coming up in hour number three of the Watchdog Morning Show. It's 9 o'clock and ABC covers the world now here on the uh, Watchdog Radio Network.
The Watchdog is FM 98.1, AM 1600, WKKX Wheeling. FM 97.7, AM 1370, WVLY Moundsville. From ABC News, I'm Derek Dennis. Freedom for U.S. Army Private Travis King held captive in North Korea since July. He got off a plane overnight in San Antonio, Texas, back on U.S. soil. Travis King, who for unknown reasons sprinted across a heavily fortified border into North Korea more than two months ago, was handed off to representatives from Sweden in North Korea yesterday. They then drove King across the border into China and transferred him to a waiting U.S. official. The Army considered him AWOL after he darted through the demilitarized zone into North Korea on July 18th. Jim Ryan, ABC News, Dallas. This morning, Republicans on Capitol Hill hold the opening hearing of their impeachment inquiry against President Biden, alleging he's tied to his son Hunter's business dealings overseas. They'll hear from a constitutional law professor, a forensic accountant, uh, and a former Justice Department official, and they will basically lay out the theory of the case, why Republicans think that they have the evidence to move forward with an impeachment based on corruption charges against the president. ABC's Terry Moran, the White House, calls the impeachment inquiry a political stunt. Last night's Republican presidential debate went on without former President Trump. Most of the candidates shying away from attacking the GOP frontrunner. Behind closed doors today, a defiant New Jersey senior Senator Bob Menendez said to address fellow Democrats one day after he and his wife were arraigned on federal bribery charges, allegedly enriching themselves with a stash of cash and other luxuries. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer stopping just short of calling on Menendez to resign, despite a long line of others who've already done so. For senators, there's a much, much higher standard. And clearly, when you read the indictment, Senator Menendez fell way, way below that standard. Menendez has vowed not to go anywhere while he fights the charges. And new numbers from the federal government on jobless claims, they inched up slightly by 2,000 claims this week after reaching their lowest level in eight months. You're listening to ABC News. Ron had a tax problem he just couldn't handle on his own. I owed the IRS taxes for over five years, but I didn't have any money to pay the taxes. Those years cost him dearly. Most of it was fees and interest. It was horrible. Ron finally called in the pros. I called Optima Tax Relief, and boy, am I happy I did. <laughs> the leading tax resolution firm, Optima, is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau. They've resolved over a billion dollars for their clients. Ron was overjoyed. They settled my account with IRS. I was ecstatic. They are a lifesaver. They are. I am so happy. <laughs> Take Ron's advice and call Optima now for a free consultation. Yeah, don't do like I did and wait. Call Optima Tax Relief. Do it now. You'll be ecstatic like me. <laughs> call 800-343-6460. 800-343-6460. 800-343-6460. Optima Tax Relief. Testimonial from an actual client. Some restrictions apply.